Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. This morning, we continue our teaching series, Journey of the Soul. The first week of the series, we talked about confidence in Christ, the confidence we have in Jesus. The second week, we talked about community with the people of Christ. Go back and listen to that. Bucky gave an incredible defense of why we need, need, need the people of God to help watch our blind spots, to build us up, to grow us up in the full maturity of Jesus. And that's what Journey of the Soul is. It's a maturity series. How do we grow into maturity? What are the things that lend towards maturity. Today, we're going to be talking about co-working with Christ. That's the big idea, co-working with Christ. And I want to start by talking about something very sensitive. I want to start by talking about household chores. You ever been working around the house or your apartment, fixing stuff, and you find yourself cursing God? Right, right, right. Neither, Neither have I. Neither has anyone. But, but I've heard of this experience for people. I've heard of this happening for people. You can't get a, a, a hose unscrewed. Like, how about that for a household job? Because it's rusted and it's calcium buildup and you can't get the hose off the nozzle. You got to get a wrench and then you got a broken tool and a broken hand and a broken hose. You, you've screwed 15 screws into the wall. It's no longer a wall. It's polka dot wallpaper. It's terrible. How does drywall work? It took me 10 years of being in the home to figure out how drywall works. And finally, at the end of year 10, I figured out how drywall works, but it's hard. What about Ikea furniture? Anyone? Come on. Anyone ever done the do do with some Ikea furniture? You have. You've wrestled with it. It's so basic, isn't it? It's so simple until it's not. And then you're having a dark night of the soul. We've spent hours and hours deep into YouTube with all the DIY research. So easy for them on those channels. So easy, so basic. It's miserable. And you've cursed. If not God, you've cursed. Anyone who's ever had this experience, it's me. I have. I've had all of the above. That's why I'm speaking from experience. Frustrated, sweating, short-tempered, ornery. Go to the internet and look up how you spell ornery. If you can raise your hand and spell ornery right now, by the way, if you can spell ornery, Get $100 million, and then we'll ask for it back. It's so, such a weird word, but that's me, ornery, explosive, fatalistic. It's a Saturday. You'll find me at home working with Ikea furniture, fatalistic. That's all it takes, if you're wondering. Like, what pushes Ben over the edge? Ikea furniture. And then I read something. I read something this past week in this book. It's actually called Journey of the Soul by a guy named Bill Gaultier. He's going to be here guest speaking October 16th. He's a guy who grew up down here, and him and Bucky did ministry for a lot of years together. He's a real trusted, great guy. And uh, he quotes Dallas Willard saying this, a person has to train themselves to think. Now is the time to rely on God and to praise him for the solution that will come to me when I'm frustrated with my house job. That's called life in God. Training brings you to the point where you don't have to say, I have to pay attention, I have to get this right. You routinely think instead, this is an occasion when God is present. This is a time to pray 
and to praise. The author of this book, um, Bill, is coming, as I said, and he, in that same page, he describes this war of attrition between him and a household project, between him and a, and a simple little job that he was doing. And it's a battle between him and the object for success. That's all that matters. I have to win. It was so relatable reading that from Bill. It's me against this thing, and I have to win. I have to be successful. Just ask my wife the look on my face after a successful day on a Saturday when I've actually got it right. I've used the drywall anchors. I've finally, after 15 million pieces of Ikea furniture, I got it, and I didn't have to take a second trip. At the end of that day, when we finally punch out, I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm like, nothing could get me down. This is great. I feel so successful, you know? What happens when you don't feel that way? What happens when, you, at the end of the day, you're 0 for 2 on your household projects? You're defeated, you're deflated, and it comes from a, a perspective. It comes from a worldview that we're trying to give you in this series. And what I want to give you today, moving from it's me versus this thing I'm battling, moving from that to it's me and the Holy Spirit working with this thing. And this works in every area of your life, by the way. I know I'm using the... Uh, lightweight picture of a household chore, but in your job, where you work, where you spend all those hours of your life, could that be any accident that God wants you to spend those eight hours every day for your working years, and it's just a wash, or let alone a curse, or this just this painstaking thing that you're supposed to endure for all your working years? There's no way God has to have a bigger purpose between us and our work, us and our volunteer experience, when we come and sacrifice, sacrifice our time. And I, and I love, like, kind of number pictures, and so I have one here that I read this paragraph, and I think this could radically change your life. It's starting to work on my soul, and it's starting to kind of sink down deeper, but we have to move. In Christian maturity, if you want to become a, a mature Christian person, you move from cycles of work, which is a one-to-one picture, Think of that one-to-one ratio. It's me versus the work, and I have to win. The mature Christian person moves into a season of cycles of grace, where it's a two-to-one. Guys, if you can embrace this, if this can move and sink down deep into a conviction-level thing for you, it has the power to deeply shape your daily life, where you live, where you work, and where you play. Cycles of Grace says it's two to one. It's me with Jesus always, ever. He's right there, hand to the plow. He's with me, doing the hard things with me. Plus, get this, this is crazy. This is how I've been wired. This has been the last 20 years at least of my adult life. Is this war of attrition, me against the object of my work. The work is not the adversary. The work is the thing God is using to sharpen you and to grow you up into the fullness of Jesus. And Jesus is always with you in the work. It's me with Jesus plus the work he's producing in me. It's no longer a one versus one thing, guys. It's a two to one picture. And I hope that can help you because, man, this is not just metaphorical. This whole idea of, you know, my days off and how we do house chores. That was a literal picture of Friday. And I, and I read this this, this page from this book throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I was in the garage Thursday, Friday, working on a new dresser. The other one finally tanked, 
And so I'm putting together this dresser, and the kids are buzzing around all over the place. If, you, if I'm just meeting you, my wife and I have 10 kids. I know that's astounding and a little distracting, but it's our life, and it's our calling. And, and so that's what makes things so hard. It's not just me and the right tool and the furniture. It's the fact that you got kids buzzing around and distracting and trying to talk to you and trying to knock stuff over. And it's like, ah, I just want to pull my hair out. And, and I want to not celebrate myself, but I want to give you hope for how real this principle is on the screen. That Friday, I had a breakthrough. I'm not kidding. I read the book on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I started to internalize this idea of I'm not, the work is not an adversary for me. I'm not alone in this. I don't even have to win. What is that? The process, the practice, the journey of getting to success, whatever that even is, that's where God's doing some of his most interesting work. And the kids were in the garage. They were getting their hair cut, ironically. My wife and I had a scheduling complex, so they're in there with me. And I'm in there working. And I didn't lose it, honestly. First time in five weekends where I didn't lose it. It was a wonder of God. It wasn't something I did on my own strength. It was a belief. It was a way of thinking that I had internalized. Even in a 48-hour period, I had internalized it. And God was already showing me some of the fruit of this new way of thinking. That's what journey of the soul is about, and that's what co-working with Christ can look like. For mature believers, we're developing this theology of work. As a believer growing in maturity, you need to have a robust theology of work. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm supposed to talk about volunteering and volunteering at your local church, but I think, to be honest, the way I read the scripture Uh, Whether you're volunteering or whether you're working your nine to five, they're both a work product that God cares deeply about. He is deeply involved in. And and I hope that you can apply it to both this local church and where God's calling you to sacrifice your time and use your gifts, but also to your nine to five. We're going to talk about co-working with Christ. Let's just pray really quick and then we'll get into the main text for this morning. Dear Jesus, I thank you for um, all the folks here today, people checking out church, um, people who have been here for some time. God, I'm humbled by the volunteers who set up this room today, who prepared for worship today, and just coming in here this morning, getting to circle up with them and pray with them, and the way they're using their gifts and they're sacrificing their time as a witness, this worship team, God, the way they served us and they serve you this morning is a witness to you, and I'm so thankful for it. I'm thankful for all the workers in the room, whether they are stay-at-home moms, or whether they're men and women who are in the workplace in an office. God, there's no way that those hours, all those hours of the legacy of our lives is just a wash or neutral or let alone a curse, God. It has to be something more. So for those in the room, Jesus, who feel a little dry in their work, who feel discouraged in their work, who feel like quitting, feel like they're not being used, they've lost purpose, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that you would grab their hand, strengthen their arms, their weary arms, their weary legs, and help us take up this work you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we uh, get into a positive vision of work, I want to eliminate one thing that somehow has worked its way into Christian thinking over the years. 
And we have to dispel that myth first. It's, it's work as a curse. Genesis 3. If you're familiar with the, the narrative of Genesis, we have the creation picture in 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2. And then 3, the fall. Sin enters the world. And wait, isn't work, toil, part of our consequence of sin? It's like the punchline for sin, isn't it? Well, let's just, just look at what this says, okay? And I'm going to show you a couple verses from Genesis. Genesis 3, 6, 17. But Adam, he, to Adam, he said, Because you obeyed your wife and you ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. I said that. Cursed is the ground thanks to you. And painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. So, is work hard? Yes, it's hard. Is, it, is work touched by sin? Yes, it is. But just like everything else. There's two things I want you to hear really quick, and I'm moving on. If you ever attended a church or heard a message that suggested work is a curse, and so when I go and I punch in, it's curse, and I just have to withstand it and overcome it. This passage, it's been used historically that way. You need to read between the lines. There's two things, really quickly. Number one, this passage is about eating. How many times does it say eat up there? You ate from the tree, you must not eat it, and now the, curse is, the ground is cursed, and you will eat of it all the days of your life. The object of this, this kind of announcement of God is food. <laughs> food. God, it, you see, God is so wonderful this way. A lot of people like to point at God. He's an angry, judgmental God. He's unfair. He's not just. If you look throughout the Bible and you find out the consequences that God brings against people, it is always commensurate to whatever the offense was. It is always equal to whatever the offense was. So they had a lot. Don't eat from the tree. They ate from the tree. The th- now eating will be a kind of curse for them. They had the ease and the grace of accessing food whenever they wanted that, that was in the garden in this perfect world. They had the ease and grace to eat whenever they wanted. Now, they'll have to work to eat. Are you guys tracking with me? Is that amazing? The object of that passage is not the work. The object is the eat, is the food. And then a the second thing that you should see through there is just what I said a second ago. Everything's touched by sin. So if we want to have a theology that says, oh, work is a curse and because it's touched by sin, why don't we use that logic for everything else in the world? Because everything has been marred and affected by sin. So you wouldn't do that. So, so be fair to the text and um, understand that work is not a curse. If we can stop, for example, we can stop using three verses to build an entire theology of work. We can stop doing that now. We don't have to use three verses. How about 469 verses? How about 469 verses to build a whole lifestyle theology of work? Here's two of those verses. Shamar, this is a Hebrew word, to watch, to keep. What was the announcement to Adam and Eve in the garden? Watch, keep. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the orchard in Eden to care for it and to maintain it. Shamar, everyone say shamar. Not a very difficult word, you can do it. Say shamar. Shamar, to watch, to keep, to maintain, to steward, to manage it. And again in Numbers 1, 53, the Levites must camp around the tabernacle of the testimony so that the Lord's anger will not fall on the Israelite community. The Levites were like the priests, the pastors of thousands of years ago. And the anger of the Lord will not fall on the Israelite community. The Levites are responsible for what? The shamar, the care of the tabernacle and the testimony. Shamar is a big word for our theology of work. 469 times that word is used in the Old Testament Bible. To care, to maintain, to watch, to preserve from, from keeping watch over a flock, this word is used, shamar, a shepherd in the Old Testament context, 
keeping watch over a flock to guarding a watchtower in the battle language of a picture of numbers and the Israelites and they're fending off their enemies, all the way down to watching your baby brother. Cain and Abel. What does Cain say? Am I my brother's shamar? Am I my brother's keeper? Well, yes, you are. (laughs) So from the great tasks that you've been invited into to the very little tasks, our our, our kids that, that watch out for their siblings, shamar, we have a responsibility in our work and, yes, in our volunteering to keep, to watch, preserve. There's another word, three verses. How about 145 verses? Aboda, everyone say aboda. Aboda, labor, labor as love or worship. This is a quote from Tom Nelson. I highly recommend if you feel challenged in, in your workplace and you're wondering, where is God in my work? Well, God has left the building. He's not at my work. Go and read the very accessible, easy to understand book called Work Matters by Tom Nelson. He says, in our work, we're to show off God's excellence, creativity, his creativity, his glory to the world. We work because we bear the image of the one who works. A common thread of meaning emerges where work, worship, and service are inextricably linked and intricately connected. In my prayer time this last week, um, the Lord led me to Deuteronomy 10 as a teaching aid for this morning. I want to read this long passage from Deuteronomy, and then I'll give you a few practical things that apply to our everyday work and even into our volunteering. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? except to revere him, to obey all his commandments, to love him, to serve him with all your mind and being, to keep the Lord's commandments and statutes that I'm giving you today for your own good. The heavens, indeed, the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. However, only to your ancestors did he show his loving favor, and he chose you, their descendants, from all the people in the world, as as is apparent today. Therefore, cleanse your heart and stop being so stubborn. He says, repent, confess. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God who is unbiased. He takes no bribe, who justly treats the orphan and the widow, and who loves the resident foreigners, giving them food and clothing. So you must love the resident foreigner because you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. And again, he says, revere the Lord your God, serve him, Be loyal to him and take oaths only in his name. He is the one you should praise. He is your God, the one who has done these great and awesome things for you that you have seen. When your ancestors went down to Egypt, they numbered only 70, but now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the sky. The book of Deuteronomy is this wonderful recap. It's at the end of the five-book narrative called The Law. And a lot of it is a recap. It's a retelling. Why does story matter? Why does it matter that you know the narrative and the story of your family, of your family of origin, where you came from? Story matters. Why does history matter? (laughs) Right now in this generation, this time, I feel like we're one of the most forgetful generations of all time. We think the world is ending every single news headline. Can you imagine living as a part of the World War II generation when actual nuclear war was a threat? I mean, every single news and social media headline, we think the world is ending. Our histories and our narratives matter. That's what you just read in Deuteronomy 10. 
the history and the narrative of God's activity with his chosen people, we could read it again today. That's why I wanted to read such a large caption and say, take heed of these same warnings. The author of Deuteronomy is saying, heads up. This is where we've been. This is where we're going. You have a choice. You can choose to toil apart from God in a one-to-one relationship. You can get stuck in that cycle of works, always trying to achieve and perform and muscle up on your own strength. You can stay in that cycle of works. You can toil on your own apart from God, or you can choose to co-work with Christ. Learn from the generation before you, the author says. Don't make their same mistakes. Follow the ways of the Lord and you will be successful. You'll flourish in the land that I'm giving you. And what are those instructions? If you want to take notes, I'm just going to do a quick list of six or seven things. Really quick. Number one, he says, revere God. There it is. He opens with that in verse 12, ends with that in verse 22. Revere the Lord your God. It's another Hebrew word, Yahweh. Not Yahweh as one of the, the Hebrew words and names for God, but Yahweh, like a ray of sunshine. It means to fear, to stand in awe or astonishment. This whole context, there's a, there's a, there's a punchline there about we serve God. And whatever we do, serve the Lord with all your heart, mind, and strength. We're serving God. And what's the, what is it couched in? Verse 12 and verse 22. Revere the Lord, worship him. So we can see right away, point number one, our work, our volunteering in the local church is an act of worship. For sure. Even in your quote-unquote secular jobs, the job maybe you borderline hate, what you do in bringing creativity, what you create with your hands and your mind, you're creating. Wow! You have a delegated piece of God's character. That's what it means to be an image bearer. You have a delegated piece of God. You're co-creators with God. You're sent into the world and you create whatever you do. You're a part of that creative work in the world. That's powerful. And we worship God for how he's endowed us with those gifts and called us into that work, whatever your work is. And what what else does work do? If you look at this passage, and you can see it's still there, obey these commands, these statutes, back in verse 12, 13. Obey these commands and these statutes. Number two is work is about obedience. (laughs) Oh, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts to work for that bad boss who wants to work for that guy or that gal. They're the worst. God, how could you be using them? Ugh. How could you use that bad boss? I love what Gene Edwards says in his book, The Tale of Three Kings. Go and read it. It's a fictional narrative based on the story of David and Saul. You may remember Saul. Saul was uh, David's bad boss. How would you like it if your boss tried to fling a spear at your face when you were sitting in your cubicle? That was the work relationship of David and Saul. Tried to literally, physically kill him. Not once, more than once. And Gene Edwards has made this connection. And every year, me and a leadership group of men and women go through this big idea. If you're interested in leadership, you can be a leader. Use the website. Why do the bad bosses, the Sauls, exist in our life? 
They crucify the Saul inside you. If you don't think that you could become a Saul, a bad boss, a negative toxic boss on your worst day, think again. Some of us maybe have a challenge with that kind of self-awareness. Some, some of us have a problem with that level of introspection to see that the bad boss exists inside us too. God has put that person in your life to crucify, to just spear the Saul inside you. If you're suffering under a bad boss or a bad work environment right now, the spirit of obedience. God, I will suffer under this season because I know you're performing something, you're working something, you're doing something inside me. The Bible says it's as strong as gold. It is a heavy metal. So obedience is a part of our work. Number three, to love him, to serve him. Abad is the word that we, aboda. Aboda is this, this word about loving him and serving him. Whether we're creating or observing or performing or we're plowing, all those hundreds of references in the Old Testament, the 469 and the 145, hundreds of references from small to large tasks. Number three is it's about company with God, keeping company with God. We serve him, we love him, we spend time with him. And by the way, it's all his. It all belongs to God. Let's go back to verse 12. This could form so many pieces of theology for you. It says right there, the heavens, indeed the highest heavens, middle of the screen, the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God as does the earth and everything in it. He owns it all. One of my favorite lines from the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class that some of you are taking right now. It just started. If, if you're interested, it's not too late. You could join in two weeks late and it will change your life. But when it comes to our theology of money, which is partly what we're going to work for, that's true, right? We go to work and we must provide. That's our responsibility to provide for our households, whatever the shape and size of your household. You go to work to provide. But, but what could change if you kept in mind the fact that it all belongs to God? The office, the workers, the stuff, and definitely what we're earning belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and everything therein, wow, he owns it all. I will tell you as a leader of an organization, it is so hard not to buy that lie that maybe, maybe I'm the owner. Anyone out there? Leadership even over your own household? If you're not running a company or an organization, you're leading yourself and you're leading those in your care that you see every day. You're responsible for someone. You ever just start to accidentally slip into the myth of maybe I, maybe I own it. Another great author says, don't touch the glory. <laughs> we don't touch the glory. You don't take responsibility for what God did and what belongs to God. He gets the credit. He's the owner of it all. That's actually point number three is he owns it all. Number four, if I'm messing up your list, I repent, I apologize, cross it out. It's not to love and serve him. That's coming later. Number three is he owns it all. Number five, this is a work and volunteering is a part of being in the new family of God. That's number four. Did I say five? That's number four. Just, just figure it out. It's your notes. I don't care what your systems are. Number four. It's four, okay? Four. Work, and yes, volunteering by extension, is what it means to be in the new family of God. Look at this. If you read the Old Testament, you see, oh, chosen people. 
I chose you right there on the screen. However, not only do your ancestors show loving favor, he chose you, their descendants. If you're reading that and you're thinking, Ben, wasn't that about the Jews? Wasn't that about the Israelites? They're the chosen family. If you keep reading, keep going, you're going to see stuff like, like what, what Paul says in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 11, 17, if you're following along, I'll put it on the screen for you. He answers that question. Some of these branches from Abraham's tree, that is the Israelites, the people of Israel, they've broken off. They've fallen away because they didn't obey God. They didn't act like God owned it all. They didn't revere him and worship him. You see how that fits nicely in your list? That's a fact. How did they get broken off? They didn't obey God. They didn't treat God like he owned it all. And they didn't worship God. That's how they got broken off, if you're wondering. And you Gentiles, the non-Jewish descendants. If you're here in the room today and you come from a non-Jewish descendant, that's you. You can raise your hand. We are the branches from this wild olive tree we've been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. Um, I don't want to get too tough here, but if it's true that working for God in our nine-to-five and working for God in the local church is what makes us family, what does that mean if we abstain from that responsibility? of working for God in our nine-to-five, and using our gifts, by the way, that the church sorely needs. Paul talks about the, the, the body, the church. He uses that biological analogy. The body is the church. The church is the body, like a human body. And every single part is beautiful and needed and wonderful. The head, the neck, the arm, the leg. The church today, guys, not just this local church, but the church in Costa Mesa and Orange County and the world, it's limping along. Maybe it has a head or a neck or an arm. It's missing a leg. Maybe it's got a head. It's missing a neck. That's you. If you've yet to find out where your gifts meet the deep need of the local church, we want all of you in the game. The Bible suggests that's what it means to be adopted and grafted into the new family of God as you participate in that. And we want you to be a part of this family. We are here to help you find your path. The next steps meeting is the beginning of that journey. And it's not just come look at us. When we do the next steps meeting, it's not just here's our mission, here's our vision, here's our values, let us talk about us. We pull you out in the meeting. What's your personality? What's your gift mix? It's an exploration and it's a self-discovery when you come to that meeting. And I highly recommend that you do that. If you're wondering, man, let me just tell you, I've seen so many people disqualify themselves. I, can, I, can, I can't do what Adrian did. Get up here and speak in front of people like that at a church, no less. He might as well be a preacher. He might as well be a pastor. I can't do what he did. I can't do what these guys did musically. That's two of 15 examples where we need you, by the way, in the game, helping the body be beautiful again, helping the body flourish. And if you're disqualifying yourself right now thinking, I'm not ready, I'm not capable, I'm not gifted, that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's what that is. Nothing else to say about it. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Because God has endowed you with gifts. He has endowed you with a personality. He hasn't given you a character that he's grown up over the years. And there's a great place for you to use those things. So we'll pray for you. If you need release and comfort about your, your self-doubt or the way you're believing badly about yourself, come forward and we have volunteers. We'll pray for you after service. Number five, that's number four. Number three, he owns it all. Number four, we're part of the new family of God. Number five, we repent. That huge <laughs> verse that got offset and that big, huge, there it is again. 
Where is it? Oh, did I go too far? It got fixed. Look at that. Oh, no, we're going to keep going. I'm going to put it up there. Just stay, stay tuned. Boom! Oh, okay, I see. My cheat screen is much bigger than yours. It's not large. Therefore, cleanse your heart. <laughs> stay tuned. Stay with me. Therefore, cleanse your heart and stop being so stubborn. Ouch! Ouch! It stings a little bit. If it does, that's good. No discipline is pleasant at the time, but over time, it, re- it produces a harvest. In our, our last teaching series, we studied the book of Revelation. And Daryl Johnson, this beautiful, wonderful mind on the book of Revelation, said Christians have three jobs as we wait for his second coming. Three things. Just you're wondering, when is he going to come and what, how do I carry myself every day? Again, work matters. You're there for so many hours of your life. How do I carry myself between Jesus' first coming and his second coming? And he says the three things we ought to do is intercede, we pray. Pray for, for our neighbors and our friends and our families. We repent. That's what's on the screen. We repent. We turn. You see, the hard thing about repentance is that um, <laughs> one time is seldom enough. Yeah, that's, I'm speaking from experience. That's how I know that. One time, repenting for that, that, that secret sin, one time, is seldom enough. Oh, it's enough for God, don't get me wrong. It's like he covers you, he forgives you, he gives you grace the second you repent. But oftentimes this pattern creeps up again and it shows its ugly face again and I need to turn to my brothers and my Bible study and I need to say, guys, I've been struggling with this and I, I gotta confess, I gotta repent. And sometimes even with you, I'll repent. I did that a few weeks back about how I was judging another Christian. I need to confess and repent so my heart can be soft. And that applies to our work, doesn't it? Do you need a soft heart for your workers, your coworkers? Anyone need a soft heart for their coworkers? Anyone stuck in a, in a seat, the seating place of judgment for, for where you live, work, and play? If you're stuck in the, in the seat of judgment, like I battle every day, repentance is your secret to get out of that hole. When you confess and repent to God, he'll soften your heart. Some of you remember I was on a sub list there, and you want to know what the third thing was? Intercede, repent, and the third thing is prophesy. By that, he means call people back to the word of God. So important for our time. Number five was repent. Listen to this about the character of God. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, mighty, awesome God who's unbiased. He takes no bribe, who justly treats the orphan and the widow, who loves resident foreigners, strangers, aliens. Sometimes your, your translation will read. It's all the same word, resident foreigners, immigrants, giving them food and clothing. So you must love the resident foreigner because you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. You know what I'm going to say really quickly on this is um, a lot of this represents the work of the local church. This is the, really the last point on the list. No, it's not. I lied. This is six, and then I have seven, because seven is a holy number. Here's, here's point number six. There is specific work that God is calling us to. There is specific work that God is calling us to. Today, our minds are so awash from news and social media about what really matters. It's so hard to remember what we're fighting for. So hard. 
That's why the word of God is so powerful to shape and transform our minds. When our minds have been washed and doused with 10 hours a day on our screens throughout the week, we come back to the word of God and we're snapped back to what really matters and what we're really fighting for. What's on the screen there is, for all intents and purposes, the work of the local church. There are specific calls and causes that God still cares about today. He still cares about them today. And there's no way to finagle out of what's on the screen right now. When we have widows and orphans in our midst, if you want to be loud-mouthed on news and social media about pro-life abortion issues, show by the way you live that you're for the widow and the orphan in our midst. I had a meeting last week with a woman who's rebuilding out of COVID and pandemic, and she has an organization called Fristers. And you know how they spend their time? You know what their mission is devoted to? Young teen moms who made the decision for life, and they got very few people to care for them. You want to be pro-life? Be pro-life at every single phase of development. Get involved in the work of the local church and nonprofits that are doing that work. God does care about life, and he cares about sending a generation into the world to help people on every side of that issue. Be about justice. God is about justice, biblical justice. If you try and entertain and execute the concepts of political justice, right or left, I don't care what side you're on. If you try to fulfill perfectly the track record of political justice, you will die on the inside. You'll die on the inside. The political agendas today drive you so hard down into the platform that if you don't post about it every day, if you don't show up at every rally, if you don't give to every single campaign, you'll never be enough in the world's eyes. That's why biblical justice is the only option that will feed your soul and empower you to actually work and represent things in the world. It's it's an always hungry beast. You have to feed the beast all the time in political justice. You can never satisfy it. But God's justice is, is accessible. And it will not leave your soul weary and broken in a ditch somewhere because you're so exhausted fighting every political battle. And yes, God's heart is for resident foreigners. There's no way you can get out of that piece of theology. You may have a politically divergent view from the person sitting next to you today. That's okay. This country has a broken immigration system. I've gone for our friends our pastors on staff at our Spanish-speaking service, I've gone to their naturalization ceremony in downtown LA. It's a beautiful thing when you see that mass of people who patiently endured the suffering of our system and paid thousands of dollars for legal fees to, to work a broken system. So yeah, it's a system broken for sure, but these are our neighbors here today. However they got here, whatever their background story is, they're here now and you can't work around how many times God says love on them and be neighborly to them and teach them the word of God. That's why one of the five things on our Building for Sending campaign is building a Spanish speaking service. And we're going to be one church, two languages. Because they need help. They don't need a handout, but they need help in their own Christian maturity and growth. And we'll do that together. And we can't get away from these causes of God. God has a cause. They're very real. They're very evident. They're very specific. I could go on and on, but I'm going to move to the final point. Number seven is this. As the band comes up, this is what you should know about work and volunteering. It's about enjoying God. 
when we work and we volunteer, it's about enjoying God. Look at this from uh, Deuteronomy 8 and 9. At the time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the Lord's covenant, to stand before the Lord, to serve him, to formulate blessings in his name as they do to this very day. Therefore, Levi has no, listen to this, zone in. You know, the guys are coming up here slowly but surely. Listen to this. Don't miss this. This is powerful. Therefore, therefore, Levi has no allotment or inheritance among his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God told him. So I want to end by talking about the Levites for a second. You don't know who the Levites were? They were a tribe from the 12, 12 tribes of Israel. And they were designated as a, as a sacrificial son, as it were. They took the place. The Levites were, were nominated to serve God's temple. Even as they were traveling in the wilderness, as they are in Deuteronomy, they're traveling in the wilderness and they have a, a mobile temple, a mobile church, the church of God, the temple, the presence of God resides there. And the Levites, you know what they are? Really exotic job. Really important job. You know what they are? They're custodians. They're janitors. They're janitors and custodians for the Lord's temple. You see, it was Aaron, it was Aaron and his household that actually handled the stuff. But the Levites came in and did the dusting and, and adjusted the drapes and the table coverings. And for that work, what did they get? They got God Himself. Their payment, their compensation was God Himself. The very presence of God. If you're wondering, Lord, what is my inheritance? What is my 401k for these years of service at this local church or in my business or my company or at home as a, as a parent? Notice, by the way, that I haven't created a hierarchy for what kind of work you are. And I love what Tyler said. If you're working at home, boy, you're doing important work. If you're working in the office, important work. What is your inheritance? The very presence of God. It's no longer your adversary, your work. You're working with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with the work and what it's producing in you. That was the Levite's job description. And guess what? It's our job description too. What is the work and the compensation for those who work for God? It's the very presence of God. And I'm really far from this, personally. I fall on my face every day. Treating work as a competition. Treating my household chores as a competition. Something I must just strong arm. One of my favorite, favorite pictures ever about a, a Christian worker <laughs> who had a janitorial service is a guy named Brother Lawrence. You can look him up. He was a, a French monk who worked in a monastic building and he was quite literally the, the janitor and the cook. And he did the odd jobs and the messy jobs. And this is what Brother Lawrence said. So the time of business does 
not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and the clatter of my kitchen while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in his great tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. I I think I love Brother Lawrence because it's such a vivid picture of someone standing at the kitchen sink and, and having worked in restaurants, I can picture a sink with this commercial industrial spray gun that could knock you on your backside. It's so powerful. And the slop that the servers are dropping on the right side and the Hobart, which is this massive commercial machine that just douses every single thing, makes it perfectly polished. And the mess and the muck and the mire and the cap and the apron and it's just splashing all over you. The stuff that people just finished (laughs) quasi-eating. And there's Brother Lawrence in that scene in the muck and the mire saying, I might as well be taking communion right now. The very presence of God is here with me. And I feel so broken by that standard because there I was at my kitchen sink not two days ago, not last week, not three years ago, but this morning. And Several persons are around me asking for different things. And I spilt, I had made this beautiful egg sandwich on the stovetop. Beautiful. It's golden brown. It's got crispy cheese on it, a fried egg in the middle. It's perfect. I put it on the plate and the smoothie just tips right over on top of it. And it's, it's ruined. It's ruined. And I take the cup, still partially full of smoothie, and just slam it into the sink. Yeah, I did that. And I'll confess and repent that I did that. Because I'm still an emotional adolescent. And I'm working on it. And I'm in process. And on the way in the drive from there to here, I knew in my heart, Ben, your ending picture is about a monk at a kitchen sink. (laughs) Practice repentance and confession with your people and then maybe together we can link arms and we can practice the presence of God where we live, work, and play. So whatever you do, do it with the Lord. It's no longer a one-to-one adversarial relationship. It's two-to-one. Jesus being with you and the work producing something in you. Let's pray right now and then there's communion to be taken. two back tables, two front tables. It's an open table for you today. Jesus, thank you for your communion elements. Your body broken for us. Your blood poured out for us as the perfect offering that covers me. How greatly I need it today. That covers us, God, and our broken worldviews of work. Of the times we've tried to do it on our own strength, we confess and repent. And we come to the table humbly asking for your power to carry us in this next week. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.